Welcome back to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Jay Poole. Jay is a good friend and a talented guitar player. He spent the bulk of his time performing with Ethan in a band called Delcoa, which was an original music band. And he also played on several of Jay Poole's original compositions and music that he's released. Although we did know each other when I lived in Phoenix, uh, we never got a chance to talk much or perform together. I got to know Jay pretty well after I left Phoenix because I reached out to him uh, for some recording tips and tricks and he has lent uh, a lot of energy and time and um, his musical talent to my music over the years and he's been very supportive. When I first talked to Jay about the idea of Ethan's podcast, he was very excited and willing to talk to me. As I usually do with guests, I talk to them a little bit before we get started with our interview, uh, just to kind of catch up and say hi. And um, I would like to start the conversation just a couple minutes before our official interview, because uh, we had already gotten into some uh, conversation about Ethan, and I think it would be interesting for you to hear. So here's my conversation with Jay. I hope you enjoy it. get officially started even though we're kind of officially started i just want to say i've been really 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 digging the artwork awesome so, yeah it's, it's it's fantastic especially you know that that last one that you did uh for ether because that was kind of like my song for ethan you know and i don't publicize that stuff at all but uh that was kind of what that one was about yeah so we'll uh you know we'll keep that on the dl but uh yeah that was uh yeah, we oh shit. I don't care if we keep it on the DL or not. Who am I kidding? Now that you say that, I could totally see that. And Ether, Ethan, it's good practice for me. You know, it's good to have a target goal. Mutually beneficial. We have a symbiotic thing going on, man. That we do. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the segue, you know, because, you know, when you sent me the screenshot, now we can maybe talk about Ethan. You sent me a screenshot, you know, from the, uh, the, the PayPal, and you said, this is too funny. And that is something I got from Ethan. And I do that almost every time I think, yeah, every time I send a PayPal or, you know, or a Zelle or some shit, I will always include some kind of note in there because he would do it all the time and not say anything about it. Like it would, <laughs> it would just be, I'd get a check and you know, I'd say, Hey, thanks. You know, then a week later I'm, you know, dropping it off the bank for deposit. I'm like, Oh, What's this? Staggered triplets. Okay, cool. Thanks, buddy. Uh, You know, just little things like that. And then I, you know, I'd I'd say to him at the next day, I say, hey, man, that's kind of cool that you write that stuff on the checks. He's like, oh, you noticed. I'm like, yeah. So, and he said, yeah, not everybody catches it. You know, even if they did, his handwriting was so horrible. Uh, Uh, it It would take me a few minutes just to figure it out, right? Well, that's definitely part of one of my questions. So use that because that's hilarious. And he did the same thing to me. And whenever it likes to check, always write goofy things on there and think of him. And it's kind yep. of the way he's he's still alive, you know. Yeah, that's cool, dude. That's through cool. All those things. That's great. There, you know, as I'm talking, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that uh, I have a lot in common with them 
because he was so consistent with his personality. So let me get it started because we're already getting into some good stuff here. All right. Jay. Chris. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. Awesome, and man. You, sir. What was that? And how are you, sir? It's a good day. Beautiful day here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. How's the weather there in Arizona today? Uh, surprisingly awesome. It's like less than 100, you know, 30% humidity. Um, that's actually been a great week. So while the rest of the world is burning up, Arizona is getting kind of a mellow summer. You know, wow, that's pretty ironic. <laughs> you know, we've had we've had one week where it, you know, it was was kind of hot, but you know, other than that, it's been pretty low key. You know, some of the, uh, one of my best memories or time era in Phoenix was when I lived in downtown Phoenix. I lived in a building with a bunch of DJs, artists, musicians. Don't, and it was this old building with no central air conditioning or no refrigerated air or nothing. Like Whoa, that. nice. Four years. I had a I had a window unit in my bedroom, and that's pretty much where I lived all summer. But turn of the century era, what or like when was this? Like around two thousand. It was. Uh, let's see. I was there from about two thousand five to two thousand eight. Okay. okay. Or four to seven, something like that. Yeah. What, what building was it? Oh, the the Westminster or Westminster Westchester, something like that. Westminster, I think. Cool. I think I know the building of which refer. Was it where you did your uh, CD release party? Very close to there. Yeah. Okay. Maybe about four blocks from there. All right. Yeah. That was a fun time. It was, man. It was all of us together, young and playing gigs. And yeah, that was a good time. What? Uh, so tell me, what have you been up to nowadays? Uh, you know, I've been so, you know, musically, I haven't been playing out that much in public. You know, first it was, you know, due to COVID, like, like everybody. And, you know, uh, I kind of ended up just sort of turning my energies to writing and arranging and composing. And, you know, I hadn't really written that much while I was gigging and, and working. And then when the gigs fell off, all of a sudden kind of had this creative spurt. So uh, I'm writing like a madman. So uh, I expect that uh, the first batch of tunes will be out within the next month. They're almost done. They're about 70% mixed and mastered. I got about three or four more tunes to get mixed and mastered. And then that first batch will come out. And then I've just got loads more behind it. So it's kind of like I, I sort of can't keep up with the creative output. So I'll take it while I can get it. Oh, man. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad. I, I personally am glad that you're going through a spurt of creativity. Yeah. Now, is this, is this the first album since almost 11? Yes. How about that? 10 years. So I, I guess yeah. that's, uh, uh, it's good that I got this creative spurt because I've probably got three or four albums worth of stuff. So basically I'm set for the next 30 or 40 years if I keep up the pace <laughs> that I've been doing. This is your Van Gogh era. There, there you go. I'm going to keep all, both my ears intact. <laughs> well, I feel very privileged because uh, like we were talking earlier, you and I have been collaborating on a certain aspect of your music and i've had the opportunity to listen to some of it ahead of the release and it sounds really good oh and, thanks dude and the one song that i want to hit people to to keep an eye out for is all the notes i know oh ah. my gosh when i heard that song matt remember i text you i said oh, who is playing drums on this yeah tony <laughs> king on drums man tony king and i and as soon as he told me that i went straight to text him and he was at a no i called him he That's was at great, a gig. Dude. 
I go, Tony, I just got to tell you, man, you just blew my socks off. When I just listened to it. He goes, oh, man, you know, when I got in the studio and I saw the time signature, I was losing my mind. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I remember me. He's like, I haven't played at 160 BPM in, in a while. It's going it's gonna to take a bit. <laughs> but, but, you know. Boy, did he knock that out of the park. Oh, yeah, man. And that was kind of. I, you know, all of Tony's takes there have been, you know, single pass. Very rarely has he punched in stuff. Um, you know, what I've seen with Tony is that he does, he just does a lot of prep work so that when he shows up in the studio, it's kind of like boom and done. And then, of course, like any of us, you know, I'll get done. I'll do the same thing. You'd like, Tony, dude, uh, this, you, you, you killed it. I love this take. You breathed new life into the song. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, it's like, yeah, but I could have done this better and I could have done that better. I'm just like, I, I know you're always going to think that, but trust me, it's okay. You know? <laughs> I have so, a nickname. I've got a nickname for Tony. What is uh, it? One take Tony. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, I get these tracks back and they're just, you know, uh, all the hits are the same level and volume. And it's just, you know, and a lot of times when I'm mixing, I don't have to do much except adjust levels. So that's, that's a godsend. I find that the more I try to mess around with uh, his sound that he's getting, the worse it gets. So uh, Mike Detto's doing a lot of mixing for me. And he did the Almost 11 album. And uh, actually, the, the one before that, too, that Ethan and I worked on. And uh, <clears throat> he's just like, you know, you got some good players. You know, I find I just take all the stuff off and start from there. And he's so polite about it, which, in other words, he's saying, just take all the crap off, Jay. Stop using all the plugins, dude. And I did this on this last batch. Like, oh, I think he's right. They sound pretty good. So, yeah, and I'm and I'm taking lessons, dude. I'm taking guitar lessons, and um, yeah, I'm getting my butt handed to me. Uh, they're great. Uh, learning a ton, you know, getting a bunches of new ideas. It's this uh, young cat. He's based in the UK. And through the miracle of you know Zoom, you know every two weeks or so we get together he bombs me with material and uh so you know just trying to move forward man always trying to just keep keep the ball moving it shows on your new music man it's just phenomenal and i can't wait for everyone to hear it um but mostly i can't wait to have it for myself <laughs> <laughs> man, i'm and, glad you're getting the sneak sneak preview oh man it's awesome it's been great and tony actually had we were talking about you a little bit in our inter, in our episode and he mentioned um i said yeah almost 11 and he goes no no he had an album before that that ethan worked on with him yes and I, was, yep. I was totally unaware of that so after our conversation here i'd love to get i must do you have it on cd do you have it yeah streamed? yeah it may be on spotify it might have been pre-spotify i think that one was like 2009 ish um i can't remember what uh oh simple works that was the name of that one and uh and it's i i consider i've done three quote-unquote solo albums i did one in uh 97 called don't quit your day job and uh I, it sounds kind of dated but you can still hear i think that it's that it's me and there are a couple of there's i i like most of the material on that one and then this next one i did the next one was simple works and uh I'd say that half of the material is good. And if I was doing the record again, I would have thrown half of the material out or redone, redid some things. And part of it too, Chris, is, you know, if you've got 30 or 40 tunes to select from, you can kind of call the best. But when that record came out, I was like, you know, I was writing a song every three months. 
you know, the muse was not with me. So I was like, oh, good. I got 10 songs. Let's put out a CD. So, uh, and Tony, uh, no, Tony didn't play on that. A uh, guy by the name of uh, uh, Andy, uh, Andy, not Andy Greeter. Kenny Williams uh, was the drummer for that one. So, and also the on the first record. But uh, yeah, for the last uh, two, it's been, you know, Tony King was uh, all of almost 11, except for one tune called Antics of Confusion. And that was Kenny. And then uh, um, after that, it's kind of been all Kenny or uh, Tony. And then Roy Cameron's been doing some, some work as well. So I'm fortunate to be able to work with such fantastic musicians. Well, I can't wait to listen to um, Simple Works. You said that was the name of it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's all Ethan. Yep. And, and I, and I think I love um, following the progression of musicians. So I'm glad that you don't like some of your early stuff because <laughs> I like, I like to listen to it and then the progression and then, you know, kind of grow with the, the person's abilities. So um, you hope, I'm looking right? forward to that. even Dave Grohl doesn't like the first Foo Fighters album. And it's like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what? It's brilliant, dude. All right. Well, let's move on to Ethan. Uh, so I guess, I guess a good place to start would be, um, how did you meet him? Do you remember how you met him? Yes, I do. Um, I had met him casually just because I was gigging kind of around town. And, you know, this is maybe 2003, 2004. And I just heard of him like, oh, Ethan, like he's the bass player. And I think he's playing with Tate at the time. Uh, Might've been like Tina Hoosier Daddy and Tate phase. And uh, just heard about him. And I met him one night at Aunt Chilada's. And I said, hey, yeah, I'm in a band with uh, Rob Wagner. He said he knows you. And he's like, huh, Rob Wagner's my, my weed dealer. And, <laughs> just, <laughs> and just, you know, cracked me up right away. So, you know, we just, you know, we would catch each other at gigs, you know, every now and then. And then, uh, but the first time we really, really met and got a chance to hang is my buddy Chuck Leva, a great drummer. And I was in a band with Chuck at the time uh, doing actually some great cover band we did the best cover material ever it was so obscure and nobody gave a shit but it was good stuff and chuck said you know he met ethan and he said ethan come on over, let's have a jam and uh i'll get my my buddy jay and he's like yeah i think i met jay a couple of times so dude i'm so excited for this jam session because uh, i get to you know finally play with you know ethan and i'm truly freaking stoked about this so um you know get in my car i live uh, at the time, where was I living? Yeah, I was probably living, you know, up in Desert Ridge. So like North, North Phoenix. And Chuck lives in like Mesa. So it's a solid 40 minute drive, but I'm like, cool, I'm going to get my stuff pulled together, get my car loaded up, drive down to the drive down to Chuck's. Ethan shows up. Hey, yeah, great, great. You know, start unloading my car. I look and I'm like, holy shit, I forgot my fucking guitar. <laughs> what? So, oh, I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I've got this, and I, I was even kidding with like Ethan. I've been looking forward to this. Like, trust me, I'm not this unprofessional. And he was just so cool. We all laughed about it. So Chuck makes a couple of phone calls, and somehow he has a friend of a friend that do, knows Dave Mustaine, and I end up playing Dave's. You know, a half hour later, Dave Mustaine's guitar shows up, and I'm playing Dave's guitar. And, you know, and we just had a, you know, uh, a, it was a great jam session. And, uh, you know, just I don't know what we played or how it was, but it was literally just like the old school. We don't know tunes. We're just going to play chords and we're going to do whatever the hell we want for an hour and a half or two hours. 
And um, I just had a great time. And, and Ethan, you know, said to me, he's like, wow, man, you really kind of have your own thing going on. You don't really sound like anybody. I'm like, uh, is that a good thing? <laughs> and I, I was just so uh, flattered and flabbergasted, you know, that he, that Ethan kind of dug what I was doing. So that was my my first introduction to him was showing up a gig without my guitar <laughs> that somehow ended up magical, right? So that was uh, then. And then, you know, uh, we would kind of catch each other every now and then. And then Todd Miller was looking for a guitar player who's starting up a band after Tate broke up. And that was the, the Walkins and uh, looking for a guitar player. And Todd came up and saw me playing, I think with Tim Seeley at the time. And was like, hey, you want a gig? And I'm like, huh, yeah, I think so. And then I called Ethan and I said, hey, dude, what's up with Todd? And he said, Todd knows how to book a gig, dude. He said, you will work. Todd knows how to book a gig. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in. So uh did the Watkins gig. And that's really where I also met Tony. And again, you know, like Tony was one of these local legends to me because I was the outsider coming in. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I know Ethan now. I know Tony now. Come on. I'm, uh, you know, I'm living large. I'm in a circle. Um, and I played with the Watkins for a while and Ethan would uh, sub in when uh, Jeff, Jeff couldn't, Jeff, uh, Jeff couldn't make it. And, uh, and I think, and that's where I started writing that second album, uh, Simple Works. And um, I just like, man, Ethan, hey, do you want to play on this record? It's kind of like sort of progressive, you know, different stuff. He's like, sure. So, you know, I would cut the guitar tracks and the uh, drum tracks, you know, in, in my house. And then Ethan would come over and lay down uh, the bass parts. And it was it was awesome, dude. His tone was just wonderful. He'd do it super quick. He almost didn't want to know the tunes beforehand he'd almost like hey i just want to come in and play him i'm like are you sure because i'm sort of like tony where i'll want to like listen to it know it you know as much as possible but he was like no let me just come in and do it in one take and see what happens and a lot of times he'd come in with some 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 great stuff so uh we did that and then we ended up playing uh then he was playing with delcoa and this is probably around 2008 2007 2008 and there wasn't really a guitar player so it was jay allen it was ethan it was ashley and tony and i think i just went up to him and said i heard him when i said you guys you guys need a guitar player can i, can I be your guitar player and you know ashley and jay allen didn't know me that well but i think ethan knew me and tony knew me so they sort of put in a good word did an audition and uh yeah, it wasn't an audition. It was just kind of like we jammed together. And I think they just all said, wow, this is, it was just one of those moments where everything just felt right. You know, and you don't have that. It doesn't happen too often in your musical career. Sure. It's just like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, I'm with my family. Yeah. And, that's, that's the best feeling. Ever. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Delcoa is one of my, one of my fondest musical memories because then we made the Del Coa record, which I'm super proud of, you know, that one, you know, we did everything on that ourselves in this, you know, this is where we recorded the entire Del Coa record outside of a couple of drums. Wow. Yeah, what a pretty studio. I wish the audience could hear, could see that. It's, it's, really it, you know, but it's, it's like a bedroom. It's like a, I don't know, 
12 by 14, 14 by 14. It's, it's, a, it's a spare room. Yeah. And well, the smaller, the better, right? Yeah. But we would do the mixes and, you know, the five of us would be in here, you know, arguing over, you know, uh, how loud the guitars were. <laughs> and then of course I'm like, ah, I have the pro tools. I will do all sorts of stuff. I am the key. Back. I am the key master. You know, that story about how you and Ethan met though, man, that is an amazing, very cool story. Cause I couldn't drive, you know, he had like two hours before he had two hours to jam. So I'm doing the math in my head. It was going to take me 40 hours to drive, 40 minutes to drive, 40 minutes back. And now uh, he's got 10 minutes left to jam. And Chuck makes a couple of phone calls. Dave Mustaine's flying V comes through the door and I'm like, okay, let's go. Uh, it was, it was, it was totally. You don't, cool. have, you don't have any pictures of you holding that guitar, do you? No, nah, because at the time uh, I was almost like, Dave, who or what? Uh, yeah. Oh man, I would have, yeah. I would have shit a brick, dude. Yeah, like, I think I, I think I've heard of him because you know I wasn't like really into the metal scene at the okay, time. Okay, sure, it's yeah, probably right. good, right? It would be like if somebody handed me Jeff Beck's guitar, it'd be like, oh, I can't play this thing. Oh, but, yeah, you didn't want to be too nervous. You're like, Dave, yeah. oh, okay, it's just the guitar. Yeah, yeah and I'm sure it wasn't his main guitar; it's just one that was at a friend's house for repairs or some shit. But so, what would you say was your first, uh, like your main project with them, your first project together? Del Delcoa, the Delcoa record. So that's the official. I mean, you guys jammed before that and were in each other's sphere. But yeah, and I your think first organized project. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think the Delcoa record was first, then Simple Works was after that, and then Almost Eleven came after that. That's the the chronological order. Yeah, I remember when Almost Eleven came out. I had uh, just left around. Yeah, I had just left Phoenix. And um, I had that on play. I don't know if you remember, but I even I was doing Facebook posts about it. I'd be out washing my truck, listening to that album. Oh, thanks, dude. And I love the Dave Brubeck cover you guys did. Oh, and I mean, and Ethan's playing on that record is just insane. Especially, the, and you know, the thing it about really the is. Dave Brubeck tune was, uh, you know, and we're gonna. I, this is a question I have for you later, but you know, yeah. Ethan was so influential in so many ways. I mean, pop culture, uh, books, music. I heard him playing some jazz chords at one of the Christofoya band uh, rehearsals. And I go, man, you know, I wish that I had ever gotten into jazz. He goes, oh, all right, take five. You got to you know, go get this album called Take right Five. Right and on. Dave Rubeck was my entry into the jazz world. And then it took off from there. And Ethan led me through George Benson and Charlie Parker. And I mean, it just, you know, he took me down this, opened up a whole new, beautiful, wonderful world. So when I saw you guys, or when I heard, you guys did that cover. I was like, yes. Oh, he did such a good job on it. It was awesome. Yeah, he did. And uh, the, the backstory with that is, so I had worked out that guitar arrangement for like a long time. Cause I heard it on piano. I'm like, man, I would love to be able to play that on guitar, but like, you know, so that's, that's just like one guitar. So I'm not doubling guitars on that. Um, it's just one guitar. So that. So it, it, it's a little bit of work but it was kind of cool once I, once I got it done and, and, you know, it's kind of neat. People say, wow, how'd you get those two guitars to sync up together? I'm like, oh, I didn't, it's one guitar. And, you know, it's just one guitar and four feet, four fingers on my left hand. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, and it's, it's the right hand really that does all the hard work. There's a couple of weird stretches in it, but it's the right hand that's doing all the hard work to kind of keep the bass uh, going. And after a while, I kind of get used because the bass is all like quarter notes, and they're, they're pretty steady. Um, yeah. So once you get the bass line going and it, the chords actually ended up laying down pretty nicely. So, but he was really nervous about that tune, dude, of all the songs on that record. 
that was the one he was most nervous about. And he wasn't nervous about, I think it's in nine or 12. I think it's in nine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's in nine. And, uh, you know, he wasn't nervous about that part. And that was the part I thought that he'd be a little bit like, oh, shit, I'm not sure I'm going to get it. He was super concerned about the walking baseline when it breaks off into, um, you know, the, the solo section, you know, where Paul Desmond does the solo on the record. And then I do a, you know, kind of a clean jazzy type thing. He was super concerned about doing a convincing walk, walking baseline. And he just killed it. He just killed it, you know, right again, right here in, in this room. And I'm sure it was the, the jazz cats that he was concerned about because the average, you know, three chord guitar guy wouldn't know what was going on. But yeah, he was, you know, he always wanted to do the, the best job he possibly could. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, I said, hey, man, just relax and, and do your thing. And we've got all day. And a lot of times what I would do when and I do this anytime somebody's getting a little bit nervous about doing takes in here is I'll pull up my sessions and I'll say, Hey, you see that little number over that take? What does it say? 233. You know what that is? That's the 233rd time I did that take to get it to where it sounds. So the fact that you're doing it, you're on your third pass. Um, Unless you're Tony King. You, you got a long way to go, man. So <laughs> now Tony and, was on that. Tony played on that track as well. Uh, yeah, Tony played on that. Yep. Tony's on, like I said, Tony's on every track except Antics of Confusion. You can definitely tell the difference in styles. Now, those guys, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but those guys had a very special thing as a rhythm section. Would you agree? Oh, hell yeah. But there was like a, a magic or, of sorts when those two would play together. Yeah, it just a, just a, a tight rhythm section, you know, and like with the Delcoa piece, you know, that was, it just felt so natural with those guys there. And it's just like, I could, my stress level, because I'm, I'm kind of a, uptight person when I'm playing and I'm working on it. But when those guys were there, it was just like having this giant, you know, safety net that I felt like I could kind of do anything. And those guys were going to have my back, you know, so much so that when I did my, my MIM performance a couple of years ago, um, you know, and it was solo acoustic guitar, I was like, Oh shit, this is going to be different. So I did like three numbers by myself, but I'm like, I, I, there's no way I'm going to play a gig at the MIM without Ethan and Tony uh, on my side. And they were, they were awesome. <laughs> there's, there's a great moment and I posted a video of it and uh, uh, we're doing, what was it? I think we're doing a cover of Josie and doing a little bit of jamming. And I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm trying to get my loop together. I'm just looking down. I'm like, okay, I think I got this loop in the right spot. And I turn over and Ethan was playing his, uh, the bass with a light up dot. Yeah. Right. Love and it. so I'm playing, I'm looking down, I turn on, and it's like, and he's got his, the, the bass is, you know, he just turned on the lights on the bass and I just cracked up and the whole, yeah, the whole mim like laughed along with us. I so, saw that video and that was yeah. so cool. Just, I, a, just a great moment. You aren't the only one who posted a couple of videos of him showing off his, his uh, fr light, light, fret, fret lighted bass. Yep. yep. That was so cool. And he always did it at just the right time. Yep. And I, I feel, you know, the, the thing that I'm, you know, musically with Ethan that I'm proud of is that we got to do a lot of like really challenging things together. Like I, I know I could write something, you know, pretty challenging and that he'd get it and he would enjoy playing it. Like he would enjoy like, okay, 
I'm not gonna be able to maybe get this in one pass and oh, there's some weird chords going on or it's a different groove, but he, yeah, he, he was great. Um, another thing, he always got where I was coming from. And, I, and again, I don't want this to be about me, so I don't want it to sound like that, Chris, but he always got where I was coming from musically. There's a, a song on, uh, on Simple Works, it's called Cuban Cake. And it's kind of got like a, a cool Cuban signature. And at the end, I've got two guitars kind of soloing off of each other. And in the back of my head, when I was doing it, I'm like, oh, this would be cool. This would just be like kind of like a Dixieland thing. And dude, you listen to that track. There's nothing, nothing Dixieland about it. But in the back of my head, as I'm doing these two guitars, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, that's how I'm going to get away with actually playing two freaking guitar solos at the same time against each other. You know, verboten. But I get it. And he comes in to do the listen through. He's like, oh, that's a cool Dixieland thing you did there. It's like, whoa, wow. dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's there with you. Yeah, if you uh, you hear the, the record, you'll be like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to go back and listen now with this backstory for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he it, it just – he always got it, dude, and he was kind of uh, s- such a big supporter. And, you know, I was just so much – so confident when I would play with him, you know. You had a special him. experience with him because – you created original music with Ethan and a lot of people played covers with him. You know, yeah. he wasn't in a whole lot of original music bands, uh, but Delcoa was one that lasted throughout the years. And I'm a little bit, and, and I also got to do that with him yeah. as well, except for the fact that I brought him the tunes. He just made them better kind of thing. Oh yeah. But, um, you know, what was his role in the creative process of the music for Delcoa? I mean, was he, did he write as well? Or, or was it like you were bringing him tunes, Jay was bringing him tunes and he made them better? We had a, we had a real, uh, I'd say mostly the second. So I didn't do any writing in Delcoa. The writing was mostly, I'd say 70% Jay Allen and then 30% Ashley. And they'd both come in with these raw tunes. And then Tony, Ethan, and I were kind of like their, you know, their, their rhythm section. And then we would, work on them together and they would just kind of happen. So, uh, yeah, we would, you know, we would add things. Ethan was the king of bridges, you know, a lot of times Ashley's songs, there's a couple of tunes like, uh, and I remember it was before I said, oh, that's a cool bridge. Like, yeah, I think I put that in there. So he would, he would do that. Oh, and speaking of bridges, uh, if you do go back and listen to Simple Works, there's another song called, shit, what's it called? Uh, Cog in the Wheel. And there's a break in there that he wrote the bridge and cool. he wrote it. He wrote it on the spot, which is kind of neat. And we did that. We actually did that one live. So when you hear the bridge, that is going to be uh, Ethan wrote that. That is so true, man, because he was really, really good at that because, you know, our recent collaboration together yeah. on long white line, I shared with you how I had written that song denial yep. and it was just kind of over and over, you know, I, I didn't quite know what to do with it. And just on the spot, Ethan goes, Oh man, It'd be real cool if you did this, you know, and he, and he played this break and it was like, oh, it just blew my mind. And then on, on the other song, I Can Tell a Lie, uh, again, I was just kind of stuck in a repetitive sort of thing. And he broke out with a break in a different key than the yeah. song. Yep. And, and then and then and then seamlessly went back into it was like in an E and then he broke off into an A, did the break and went slid right back into it e no problem that's ethan yeah and even with the with the bridge on the one on denial i was like 
wow, this is cool. He's like, oh, Ethan wrote the bridge. And I'm like, oh, I can totally hear it. And yeah. <laughs> when you go, when you listen to Cog in the Wheel and you hear that bridge, you're like, oh, it's totally Ethan. So yeah, yeah in Delcoa, he was absolutely a, a, a force in the arrangement of the tunes and the way we would deliver them and, you know, uh, er, everything about it. So that was kind of a unique experience. You know, with a lot of my stuff, it would just, because I would already have it kind of done, all the guitar parts and the, sure. the fake drums would be done and the arrangement would be kind of complete. Um, but then he'd come in and, and do his thing. Uh, I remember there's a couple of moments uh, on Almost 11. One of them was when he did, like I said, the uh, when he just crushed the walking bass line. And that, I do think that was his first take and how happy he was with himself on that. That's the, you know, that's the first time I ever saw him go like, yeah, I kind of, I, I'm really happy with what I did there. You know, he was never, you know, he wasn't, you know, falsely self-deprecating or, you know, oh, I'm not good or any of that nonsense. You know, just a, a quiet confidence. But that was the first time I ever said he also I'm saying like, cool. I'm glad I glad I nailed that. Out of all the recordings and projects that you did with him, what was your favorite tune that you guys recorded? All right. What, which one stands stands out? Because I mean, you guys really logged a lot of hours and, and released music that's out there that anyone can listen to we did i i uh I, I think the almost 11 project as a whole is overall my 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 favorite um but a favorite song wow dude i i i don't have one i guess i i, I hate to wimp out but i guess i i cherish them all you know especially now you know i i, I look back it's like oh this is this is fantastic you know that i i got to do this stuff with them before we started talking uh, for the podcast, anyway, we were, we were kind of going back and forth with uh, Ethan's influence on everyone that was around him. And with everyone I've talked to so far, I've had this question because I'm really curious, you know, how did he influence you on and off the stage? And what less if there if you can call them lessons, I mean, what things are still with you? Because Ethan, we also mentioned how Ethan's still alive because so many people do things that we got from him, you know. All so right. What, what do you think you personally took uh, from it? So personally, and maybe I'll 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 I'll, I'll kind of do a flanking answer to this. So you know, a couple of things. The two things that I remember or I cherish most about Ethan are number one, his sense of humor, how much he made me laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> and even if it was the shittiest gig, you know, <laughs> yeah. we would laugh. And we kind of had a pact between us, and we're like, hey. The record's still intact, no shitty gigs. And, and there were a couple that came close, but we'd be there's like, now ah, we made it. That was that was cool. You know, so we never had a bad gig. And God, I, you know, I'm thinking three or four or five projects and two or three or four bands and probably hundreds of gigs together. And right. never, lot. never a bad gig. Yeah, because you also were in, you know, we did East and Ash together too, and the Ryan Sims band. That's right. You know, I didn't realize you were in the Ryan Sims band. I, yep. Now that you say it, though, I remember going to some of those early like record release shows or yep. video release shows. And um, that was before you and I really knew each like we were kind of. Yeah, we, I knew. Yeah, but we weren't really like super right. connected. But sure. so that's the first thing. And, I, and a quick story. So and speaking of Ryan Sims, this was a Ryan Sims band gig. And it was it was plush, dude. We got flown down to uh, Cancun to do this corporate gig. So it was myself, Greg Warner. Ethan and, uh, and, and Ryan, and it was, it was outstanding. So 
Ryan and Greg get down before us and Ethan and I kind of shared a, you know, we, we went down around the same time. It was like a day after and we pull up to the hotel and it's a beautiful, really nice hotel, the conference convention center in Cancun. And we get out and I didn't really even know this about Ethan. The valet comes out to greet us and Ethan says something to him in pretty much perfect Spanish. Like, hello, 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 hello. and the guy cracks up, the valet cracks up. <laughs> I look at him and said, you, are you even funny in Spanish? <laughs> he was. And, and it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great moment. And again, it just set the tone. That was the first thing that happened really once we got to Cancun, it just set the tone uh, for the whole, for the whole trip. So, you know, I remember his sense of humor, um, you know, and his musicality, right. You know, any project that I would be doing, I mean, he's, you know, he's the guy I'd want on the project. And uh, so th they would be the two things that, that he left with me. Sense of humor. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a lot, smiling a lot, you know, thinking about him. And, you know, I have just really warm memories of the musical moments that we shared together. How about on your instrument? Did he influence the way you play? Let me think. Yeah, yeah, because in, in the most subtle of ways, because he was never somebody to say, play this or play it this way or do it this way. But he was always, you know, because I was so comfortable playing with him, you know, I would be comfortable trying different things and looking at different angles for songs and looking at different arrangements. And this is no bullshit, Chris. Whenever I was writing songs and even, you know, up until he passed, I'd be like, okay, what would Ethan think? Yeah. You know, is, is, is Ethan going to like this? Is Ethan going to like playing on this tune? You know, what's he going to think? And that is not just me playing up to the podcast that 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 would be it because honestly he he was one of my biggest supporters he's like dude this tune's great yeah i'd like the you know what you're doing what you're doing here and yeah he, so he did influence my playing just by giving me that much <clears throat> more confidence in you know in my in my own abilities which you know let's face it as musicians you know maybe some of us are 100 percent confident 100 percent of the time but you know i'm i'm a lot more skeptical and doubtful about my abilities. And We're it, all our own worst critics. Yeah. And uh, it, especially musicians. Yeah. And it, and it keeps us, you know, the good size, it keeps you moving forward. Right. You know, if I felt great about what I did, I wouldn't be taking guitar lessons at my age and, you know, that's awesome though. But that's... you know, uh, I, I just, I just always felt comfortable and confident and relaxed and, motivated but it was never hey try playing it this way or you know you're not in time or you know you're playing ahead of the beat or you're playing behind the beat that was never ethan like never dude i know ever. Yeah. you spent a lot of time with him and all your projects together and saw him interact with uh people around you you know mm -hmm. what did you notice about the way he treated people in general even if it was someone he didn't know yeah uh, he treated everybody the same you know no, right no, no, no nobody was you know, nobody got special, well, nobody got special treatment, but everybody got special treatment. And, you know, I think that, True. you know, he, he was just so instantly likable. I mean, I've never met anybody with more charisma than Ethan. 
He could have had a cult. Could have been a cult leader. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I would have been I would have been in the front of the line for that cult too. I'm glad he 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 walked in the light for the most part. Because yeah, if he was on the dark right. side, he could have been a hell of a cult leader. He was, yeah, just very charismatic and yeah, he just treated everybody equally and wonderfully. And even me when I was like a fanboy when I first met him. Same. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't, you know, he's like, oh cool, yeah. Hey, Rob's my drug, Rob's my dope dealer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get my weed from Rob. I'm like, okay. And that's kind of what <laughs> the I can hear. I can hear him saying it. I hear his voice and yep. I hear and I see his dimples and I see his face light up like, oh, I know. I know him. <laughs> I remember the exact moment where it was at enchiladas <laughs> and they're like, hey, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's my weed dealer. Like, <laughs> so what would, what would you say to someone who didn't know Ethan and was curious about what kind of a person he was? How would you describe Ethan to someone? Uh, charismatic. Uh, uh, bursting with life, uh, super talented and musical. And I also know he worked really hard at his craft. You know, I know that I think he had a, a gob of natural talent, but I also know he worked hard to get where he was. And also, I kind of always forget this, but he was probably one of the smartest people I knew. For sure. Yes. And I agree. And he didn't, he didn't flaunt it, right? You know, so he was really humble in that way where he was not, you know, he was usually the smartest guy in the room by far, but he never let anybody know it or made anybody feel that way. That's an excellent description and so true. That is so true. You know, um, one of my favorite parts of talking with people is just hearing stories about him. You know, do you have any memories that come to the front, uh, whether on or off the stage? I mean, just a story in general, like Tony told a really funny story. Yeah, no, my, 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 you know, a couple of my favorites are number one, you know, was, you know, in Cancun with the valet. I didn't know he had any kind of fluency in Spanish and then just whipping it out and like two or three valets just cracking up (laughs) Uh, and just setting the tone for the whole trip. So that's one of my favorite Ethan stories. Again, I'm like, dude. Hey, I didn't know you spoke Spanish like that. And B, you're still funny in Spanish. You're funny in Spanish. What? Uh, uh, any gig that we would have, he would always find the funniest thing to, to point out in the crowd. And, you know, so maybe I, I'm not sure I have a whole lot of, and I, he would just always make me laugh, but I can't think of anything in particular, but other than, you know, generally feeling great when I was in his presence. Yeah, you know, with the Spanish, you know, my my Spanish is maybe like two notches above Ethan's. I am in no way am I proficient or, you know, yep. but um, he would speak to me in Spanish the first time, few times he did it. It just blew my mind. And, and what was so cute about it was that his tenses and his verbs were all goofed up. But you knew what he was talking about, you know. Now you're blowing it. I thought he was super fluent, Chris. And now I'm like, oh, you just, pro- no. just burst that bubble, dude. He did it in a way, though, that you knew exactly what he was saying, and he's saying it right. But there were just a couple little things where you were, it sounded like so cute, you know. The so way maybe you, the uh, maybe maybe the guys in Cancun were just laughing at his tenses and not at his jokes. No, I guess they'll, I bet, they'll go to the grave with them. They were laughing at his energy and his vibe. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, I th- those guys are just happy that any gringos take the time to learn Spanish other than burrito or por favor or gracias. So so I'm sure they loved them. 
Um, yeah. Do you, do you remember the last gig that you did with Ethan? Can you place that? It was either the MIM or it was a gig I did when I just kind <clears> of <throat> went down to see him. I think it might have been the Rebel Lounge, maybe. And it was he and Detto doing a duet. And I think Cody Rain might have been with them. And I sat in with, uh, and, I, and I sat in with them. And it ended up me just playing the whole set um, with he and Detto. And it was, it was, it was freaking magical. Yeah. It, and there wasn't, there was 10 people in the bar and we, we played our asses off. It didn't matter how many people were in the audience. So no, just man, I, them, I was right? just, I was happy to be playing with my buds and, uh, you know, I was feeling the positive energy coming off him. Like, like he would listen, like I, I, he would listen to what I'd be doing and playing and listening to what everyone's doing. And just the, the, you know, the psychic interaction with Ethan, like that connection was always there, dude. It was always there. Um, how about how about a how about one of the last conversations you had with him? Can you remember the last thing you guys? That I remember about? real specifically. It was a phone call, and he called me, uh, and he had caught COVID, and I hadn't heard from it in in quite a while. And we had been, you know, talking about. You know, because I, I like, you know, I, I, Ethan, dude, I've got these tunes that are just piling up, you know, come on up and let's, you know, let's, let's play. And it was kind of like, that's a whole other story. But uh, where was I? What was the question? Sorry, <laughs> I got distracted there, Chris. The last, the last conversation. Oh, the last conversation. So anyway, yeah, he called and we just had a really nice conversation. You know, it wasn't about anything specific but i did get to say hey i love you dude and he got to say it back to me um he talked a little bit about you know when we were uh when we played with uh, todd at kokomo joe's and you know that was when he was still with asia you know he told me he got you know he had got the covid and i was like oh shit dude you all right it's like yeah i'm okay you know and uh you know uh you know my wife has health insurance now so i'm getting all that shit taken care of i'm like all right cool cool and that might have been about a week before he took a turn for the worse and went into the hospital. Wow. So you you spoke with him very, very close to the time that he passed away. Yeah. And it was and it was really weird. It wasn't a usually we got, hey, when are we going to get together? We, you know, it was, you know, gig related. This was just a hey, how you doing, man? Wow. You know, and you don't you know, you don't have those phone calls often enough. Right. But we did. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just, I'm glad I got to tell him how I felt. Jay, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, man. You've been so generous with your time. You know, I, I just have one more thing that I would like to ask you. And um, your stories have been wonderful. And if you ever think of any more in the future, let's talk again. But if you had a chance to talk to Ethan one more time, what would you say to him? All right. All right. So there's one other thing I wanted to mention in this podcast. So I'm sort of going to like, again, flank the answer. Sure. Uh, what I would say to him and in general is like, Hey, don't wait. So we, uh, you know, this, these new record that I'm, that I'm putting together, you know, he had had the tunes and he was ready to go and we just never got the time to, to do it. So, um, you know, I would say, Hey, let's don't wait for anything, Ethan. I could see him again. It's like, hey, let's let's do these tunes now. 
Um, and, you know, and then there's, there's one song and on the record, he had said to me, Hey Jay, you know, I know I haven't been able to get up there and I know I've been busy and haven't been able to, but listen, just save Zeppelin four sticks for me. That's the one I want to do. And, uh, you know, and he passed before he could do it. So fortunately, because we've recorded all this stuff in my humble little bedroom here, I have his bass. You know, I have samples of his bass from every Delcoa song, from every tune we did. And, you know, what I was able to do through the miracle of modern technology was to sample, you know, get his bass sound, sample it, and then superimpose it over the bass line. So in four sticks. So while he didn't quite get to play four sticks on this record, he's still kind of playing four sticks on the record. So what what an what an awesome memorial to him and honor to have him on that song and that's another great one that i thoroughly enjoyed listening to you just knocked it out of the park and uh every part of it sounds awesome and it's not surprising that ethan would be a part of that sound yeah and i was like all right what would ethan do i'm like and he he described it to me we're in a parking lot and he said hey here's what i do with the climbing baseline up and down i just remember the conversation i'm like okay buddy let's go and uh played it then put his samples in on top of it. And there you go. Not as good as having him here. Like he was for the first couple of records, but uh, a distant second. And I, I, I think that I'm also really grateful because I think Ethan was, you know, he treated everybody the same and, and he was the same Ethan to everybody. I don't think he's a guy that put on different hats when he was with different people, but because of either the, the projects that we got involved in together or the music that we did together. Um, I feel really honored that I got to see the best musical Ethan. You know, I got, I got to see Ethan at his musical best and uh, that's pretty cool. One of the things that I always loved about Ethan was he was always so excited and willing to uh, help his friends promote their products. I mean, their projects and creative endeavors. Oh, hell yeah. So, so one way to end this uh, would be, uh, do you have it? Now, keep in mind, your episode will probably air the second week of October, I, I believe. Um, but is there anything that you would like to mention while I have you here for if people who are curious? Heck yeah. The, that project that we've just been talking about, uh, that will be out and done by, uh, by the time the podcast comes out. And one of the first releases, uh, I'm going to plan on making you this first or second release is going to be four sticks by Zeppelin. And uh, you can hear Ethan in spirit uh, on that tune. And that's going to be a treat. Anyone listening, you got to check that song out. You know, again, I'm privy to have already have having heard it and it's amazing. And it's doing awesome. some kick-ass artwork, kick-ass artwork. Oh, I, love the, I love the cover you did for that. Thank you, Jay. I was, I was happy with that one too. And surprised. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I did that. Hey, that's all it takes, man. I just, and you know, for the for the throngs of people listening, I just send these tunes to Chris and say, "Hey, what do you what do you feel? What do you see? Put something together." And honestly, I, I you know it's been kind of minimal input from me. It's just like, "Hey, move a letter here, change a font there." Uh, but uh, they've been it's been fun. It's, it's neat. It has been right on, and I appreciate you saying that, man. And before I let you go, I also want to thank you, Jay, for all the years of advice and. Uh, you know your time that you've given me I you know when I left Phoenix uh, my my Alan Chadwick crutch was gone you know because I recorded <laughs> those first two albums in, in his house in Tempe yeah. 
not too far from Ethan's house. And, uh, you know, I got, I met my wife and we left Phoenix, but the songs kept coming and I was like, Oh no, what do I do now? And so I thought, well, I'm just going to have to learn how to record, you know? So I picked yep. Alan's brain, but Alan's a busy guy, you know, and he was getting into coding at the time yep. and he didn't have a whole lot of time. And I thought, Oh yeah, that's right. Jay produces the Delco albums. I wonder he's a nice guy, you know? So I sent you a message and just like Ethan, dude, you couldn't have been more generous and kind oh, it's been fun, with your man. time and your insight and your expertise. And then, uh, you said, Hey, you want me to play something on it? And I was like, yeah, dude. And everything you've given me has just been great. So thank well, you. It's, so been, much. it's been, it's been a load of fun. And I, I do want to say it was cool hearing the record in its entirety from front to back. Cause that's what I actually did. You know, I, you know, I, I knew this, a lot of the songs because, you know, you hear them, we proofed them together, you know, you know, made suggestions, but it was really cool hearing them all laid out, you know, in the order, kind of like, you know, the old, old school concept record. I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. It was like a whole new thing. And Chris, you did a fantastic job on the production. So. Thank you, Jay. And you know, that's again, Ethan, Ethan's spirit is there because we were, and I remember the movie too. We were at the drive-in <laughs> and we were sitting on a blanket and Ethan's pointing out all these stars to me and stuff yeah. before the movie <laughs> starts. And he goes, and the little kid, or the, I say little kid, but the teenager working there comes on. Welcome to the Glendale Drive-In. Today, and Ethan just starts laughing in that hearty laugh. And he goes, that yeah. is hilarious. He goes, that, that is the best. That kid is reading it. You know, you can tell he's reading a, a prompter where he goes, that would be really cool on an album or something like that. And there it is. Right on. You should mix that in with our metal tunes. He used to call that album our metal tune. You should mix that in with our metal tunes. So that, nice. Ethan again. <laughs> That's great, Chris. Jay, thank you for your time. Again, you've been so yeah, fun stuff, dude. I, you know, I'm sure I'll think of like 50 other things after we get through. But, you know, like I said, I, I, I know you probably have some more like Ethan fun time stories with other folks. And I've, I've had a couple, but, you know, candidly, most of my stuff was, you know, all all music related and great. Well, we'll circle back and do it again. I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of part twos, man. It's a common thing. That's the thing. It's hard to fit Ethan into an hour. You know, everyone I've talked to, and then after the, after we talk, they get back to me. Oh, I just thought of, now there was this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's that. So you know, once I cycle through my first round, <laughs> phase one, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's just mountains of mountains of info. But it's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful thing you're doing here, Chris. You know, right on. archiving and and logging this, and you know, it'll it'll be around. So uh, never forgotten. Awesome. Have a great day, Jay. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Right, talk, to you soon. talk soon. So that was my conversation with Jay Poole. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with him about Ethan, and I can tell that he had a lot of love, admiration, and respect for him. If you'd like to keep up with Jay, you, he is on Facebook, so you can follow him on there. And I would also recommend listening to his original music. Um, the first two albums that I'd like to tell you about are actually under the artist's name Too Many Toys. And the name of those two albums are Simple Works and Don't Quit Your Day Job. And the third album that you should definitely not miss is called Almost Eleven. And that's under Jay Poole's name as an artist. And many of those songs feature Ethan on bass. I hope you can join next week's show where I'll be speaking with Caroline Gutierrez Goddard. 
And if you remember, uh, we talked about her a little bit during Shelley Through Heels interview. It's a great talk and lots of fun. So I hope that you can join us for that conversation. I'm very excited for the song I'm going to play for you today uh, because Jay has agreed to let me give you a sneak preview of an unreleased track here on the podcast. And we actually spoke about this song during our interview. This is the one where Jay spoke about taking samples of Ethan's bass playing and adding it to the track. It's a cover of a Led Zeppelin tune called Four Sticks. And uh, he did a great job with it. So I'm really happy that you're going to be able to hear it here first. And in addition to that, uh, he's agreed to let me show you the artwork that I came up with for this track. And I'll post that on the Remembering Ethan podcast Facebook page. So keep an ear out for Jay's new music. Um, As far as I know, there's no title for this collection of new songs he's about to release. But... Uh, If you keep up with him on Facebook, I'm sure that you can hear about it and the release date there. So I hope you enjoy Jay's new music and thanks for joining. We'll see you soon.